0: Shamai Croysor and welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast. I'm Stephen Hedges uh, and I'm here with uh, Jan Gray and Alan Reese chivers Hi, Jan. Hi, Alan. Hi, Steve. Hi,
1: Steve.
0: Um, so, it's uh, the new year, 2021. Um, what have we all been doing over Christmas? I don't mind who goes first, but one
2: of you's got to. <laughs> I'll go. Um, well, just, you know, with uh, COVID restrictions, spending a lot of quiet time, but also, you know, uh, there's been lots of cricket on the TV and been watching a fantastic series between... India and Australia, staying up a bit too late, that sort of thing. But then, you know, no work to go to in the morning. So, uh, good excuse for it. Which way do you think that series is going to go? Well, obviously, it's 1-1 one, one now. I'd like to think India because I can't go for Australia, can I really?
1: Okay. Uh, Alan, how yeah. about you? For me, it's been more of a, a football. Obviously, being a, a big Swans fan, I've been following their... Uh, their season so far it's, uh, it's great as the Swans fans to see them doing so well as well yes where are they now second third second in the championship and uh, aiming high this season and hopefully they'll, they'll uh, no, certainly playoff place I would I, I certainly hope that okay. and, uh, maybe even automatic promotion and any cricket bits and pieces can't say I'm a massive winter cricket follower to be honest with you but uh, looking forward now to, to getting back to some sort of normality when the county season starts back
0: I had an interesting aside uh, today watching the uh, cricket in Sri Lanka. The England players are wearing black armbands, and if you noticed that, uh, to, to commemorate three uh, ex-England cricketers, John Edrich, uh, Robin Jackman, and a guy called Don Smith, who was uh, the oldest surviving uh, England Test cricketer. When I found out he played for Sussex, I went back and had a look at uh, uh, some of the research I did about my dad's career. And Don Smith was in the Sussex team, uh, against which my dad made his first ever 100 in first-class cricket in 1950. And I looked at where they played it, and they played it at, at a place called Chichester Priory Park. And it was the very last game, very last first-class game of cricket played at Chichester Priory Park. So um, nice, I had a nice little bit of connection with the, with the Test cricket today. So let's crack on with our uh, interview this week. We've got Paul Edwards of Panteg Cricket Club. So we'll have a listen to Paul tell us a little bit about its history and his love of cricket. Welcome, Paul, to the uh, podcast. You. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Panteg, the Place first before we talk about the cricket club?
3: Interestingly, of course, Panteg. when you talk of Panteg Cricket Club, you immediately see a lot of people who know local cricket in the Gwent and South East Wales area will associate Panteg Cricket Club with Panteg House which has become the clubhouse for Pante Cricket Club. Now, Pante Cricket Club was formed in 1876. The house itself was built and was originally known as Belvedere. And it was built for the owner of the steelworks, because there was, uh, for many, many years, as you're probably aware, very large steelworks in Panteg. Uh, the owner of the steelworks lived there, but then in 1920... Uh, a decision was made to donate the house or create the house into an employees club for the people working in the steelworks at Panteg, And it's remained that more or less since that day. Uh, fascinatingly, I did some research on it prior to the day and discovered that during World War I, it was requisitioned as a military hospital for British soldiers returning for, with injuries from World War I. Um, and was very well looked after this During World War II however, Panteg House was once again acquisitioned by the uh, military and it was was very well looked after and at the end of the war it was quite badly damaged with windows smashed, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's a little bit about Pantag house. Pantag of course is uh, in the just outside Pontepool the region. it's in the area that serves Griffiths down in Sebastopol um because when you mention Pantegs at the cricket club people often look at you strangely and say but well, where exactly in Wales is that because there are a number of other Pantegs in Wales okay. uh just on the periphery of Pontypool um, on the hill coming out of Sebastopol and going into Griffithstown
0: so the the early years of the cricket club the first sort of 40 yes. 50 years very much influenced by both the the ownership of uh, of the steelworks and also, the Absolutely. people who, who worked at the
3: steelworks, Were they, did they predominate in the team? Absolutely. It was in its early days, it was predominantly, I would have thought, a team for those people who worked in the steelworks. And indeed, when I started playing at Panteg, and it's a long, sort of, convoluted story how that happened, which you, you might be interested in later. When I started playing, and a lot, the significant number of the people playing in the team still worked at Panteg Steelworks. Uh, One of them, for example, being a a character who's still busy in South East Wales and South Wales cricket circles by the name of Richie Thomas, who now does a lot of umpiring. But when he was at the peak of his performance in the 1970s, actually played one one one-day game for Glamorgan. It was against Derbyshire up at Ebu Vale and returned, it was a 40-over Sunday league game and returned the very respectable figures of seven overs, one for 13. I suppose in view of those figures, you'd question why he didn't play again, but I'm sure Richie would have an answer for that.
0: What sort of cricket was being played in those very early years, the sort of back end of the 19th century?
3: Presumably well, the there back, wasn't any league
0: cricket at that time. No,
3: it was it was predominantly friendly cricket. A lot of the cricket matches were against other local works teams. You know, there was an Orb Works team down in Newport. There was the Land World Steelworks. So a lot of the early fixtures were fixtures against... Other work worksides.
0: When did league cricket first I- emerge and um, when was Panteg first involved in that kind of uh, type of cricket? Well,
3: pa- pa- I would have thought that would probably be been post-World War Two, Stephen. Panteg's first foray into league cricket would have been with the Glamo- Glam- what was known then as the monmouth and Glamorgan League or the Glamorgan Mon League. And that led them on the course in... On- under the course of a long and illustrious history of league cricket, moving up the echelons into what many regard as perhaps the highest standard of cricket they played. That might not go down too well at the moment with the South Wales Premier League in existence, but the old three counties league as was. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The three counties league? Certainly. Um when I start first joined Pantig back in the 80s, the Three Counties League, there were, there were two leagues that a lot of South, uh, clubs from South East Wales were involved in. So the likes of Pantig, Esk, Abergavenny and Chepstow were very heavily involved in what was the Three Counties League, playing against teams from across the border, teams such as um, Tewkesbury, there was a team at Hadley and Reddins, at Froster, at Stinchcombe, Some of the other bigger clubs in South Wales, Wales, such as St Fagans, Cardiff and Newport, played in the Western League. Um, And there was always a little bit of a rivalry as to which of the two leagues was the strongest. I'm sure the people of Pantagos, Chepstow, etc. would say the three counties, whereas I'm sure the likes of St Fagans and Cardiff would say the Western League. Um, I'd always been a, a very, very keen cricket fan, but never played much cricket. I'd been a Glamorgan member in the late 60s and the early 70s and my father used to take us on regular trips down to St. Helens and Cardiff to watch Glamorgan. So I'd always had this real fascination with cricket but never played it. So when I started teaching history in Lantanum Comprehensive School in Cumbrian, it turned out that the head of P was none other than Stuart Harrison who you know was uh, on the staff of Glamorgan in the 1970s and both his sons went on to play for Glamorgan and do course. David, of course, is still down very much heavily involved in coaching down there. I am used to have a staff cricket team, and so, of course, be having a keen interest in cricket, would said, would you be interested in a couple of games? Yeah, love, love to, I said. And in those days, believe it or not, the staff cricket team were quite competitive, quite serious affairs. I, w- I won't bore you with the details of occasionally they almost end up in fisticuffs because that's another story. And I enjoyed it. And Stuart said, well, why don't you come along and play cricket up at Pantag on a Saturday? Because you've just bought a house in Qumran. And I said, oh, that seems like a good idea, Stuart. I'd love to, I said, because at the time he was captain of pant Stuart was captain of panteg first team. So he said, there's a game for you on Saturday in the thirds. Great, I said. You've got to make your way up to Pantag house and you've got to introduce yourself to Eric Morgan. Now, when, when he told me that, I thought, hold on, this has got to be some sort of wind up because... It, Eric Morecambe, I'm sorry. So I knowing Stewart for what he was, I thought a bit of a wind-up merchant. I went up to Pantig House, as duly told on this particular Saturday, made my way into the car park and sort of said almost with tongue, tongue in cheek, and somebody tell me where Eric Morecambe is? And this booming voice came back and said, that's me. And it actually was a character by the name of Eric Morecambe. um, Fantastic character, larger than life character. My first game was for the third team at Pantigbe. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, played in the third team for a couple of years and then for some bizarre reason was plucked from being an ordinary third team player into captain in the second team at Pantake and did so for five or six years. Um, during that time, both the first and the second team played in the Three Counties League. The standard of cricket in the second team at that time was highly competitive and a very, very good standard. Some of the people who used to play then would argue that perhaps some of the second teams in the Three Counties League then would give some of the first teams in the South Wales Premier League a good run for their money at present. So that's that's how I found myself at Pantag and immersed in the Three Counties League as captain of Pantag Seconds.
0: And what were you in those uh, early days, uh, Paul?
3: A bowler, a batsman or...? And um, most of my critics was, would probably say I was neither a bowler, a batsman nor a fielder, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't bad at organising people, collecting the team money, which is probably why I was. Well, I, got, I got the job of captain and thoroughly enjoyed it as well and did it for five or six years. So I must. And during that time, we won the Three Counties League Second Division title on two occasions and the Three Counties Cup was. Um, so I must have got something right along the way. In my later years, we had the development of some incredibly good youngsters who I took great pride in watching them develop, the likes of David Harrison we've already mentioned, and then more latterly there was some, a lad called Will Bragg who went on to a flourishing career for Glamorgan as well. Excuse Looking me.
0: at um, first-class cricket at the time, who were the people yes. or who were the players that, that most influenced you and you, you most enjoyed watching?
3: <laughs> Well, but I, I always think back to the, well, I wouldn't say there were Halcyon days, but I look at the back at Glamorgan, I wasn't quite, although I would have been old enough at 11 years of age in 1969 when they won the uh, county championship for the second time, it was during the early part of the 70s and through the 70s that I really became a, I, I wouldn't say fanatical Glamorgan member, but a very committed Glamorgan member. And look back fondly to the days of the Jones brothers, Alan and on Jones. Um, and I still look back at Alan Jones's career for Glamorgan and think to myself, how on earth did somebody with that level of performance never actually play more than the one solitary game he played for England against the rest of the world? So in those early days of watching Glamorgan, it was the Jones brothers, Alan and Ivion. It was the likes of Malcolm Nash was another who, sadly, as you know, passed away fairly recently. And there was nothing better than watching Malcolm Nash. And he'd open the bowl in, left arm over the wicket, and you think there's not much pace there, but he was so clever in his use of the ball and the way he swung the ball both ways. Those are three of the people who sprung to mind us. And then when, with the onset of our overseas players, you're looking at the likes of Roy Fredericks in the early 70s. And then more recently, somebody who I watched and used to think what a fantastic all-round player he is, was Javed Meander to Pakistan. Did you manage to get to Lords in 1977? I, I did indeed. I was very fortunate. That my brother and myself went up because he was a little bit younger than myself. My father took us down to Cardiff Railway Station. There was a special train going up on the morning of the match. And my abiding memory of, of that journey up to, up to London, to, to Paddington Station, is of a sea of blue and yellow hats because they specially produced these blue and yellow sun hats and you walked in the underground to get from Paddington to St John's Wood to watch the cricket and it was just a mass of these bobbing heads up and down with these blue and yellow sun hats on. Uh, It was an absolutely tremendous atmosphere. Sadly, of course, Glamorgan lost the game but my abiding memory of that game, I'm sure like many others, is, well, there are two really. The first one was the massive six that Mike Llewellyn hit into the pavilion, which many reckon is one of the biggest they've seen at Lords to to this day. And the second one is of the Glamorgan Barmy Army, who wouldn't have been known such in those days, singing as Glamorgan, as Middlesex came into bat and seeing Mike Brearley being out first ball, caught behind off the bowling of Malcolm Nash. And who knows what might have happened in that final had if my, if my memory serves me rightly, Clive Radley then came in, went on to become man of the match. and was dropped very, very early on off Malcolm Nash again uh, by Collis King in the sli- in that second slip. Yeah. And I'm sure if that catch had been taken the course of that day, it could have been very different for everybody. But it was an absolutely fantastic day. And it's one of those days I sort of look back with and think I'm so privileged to be there. Yeah, let's come back to Panteg. Yes. Um,
0: do you want to tell us a, uh, a little bit from the research that you've done or your, your knowledge of, of the the highlights of, of, of Panteg's sort of cricketing journey?
3: My highlights probably all revolve around the, the era when I was I was actually playing there. Um, and there were some really good times in the mid to late 80s going through into the 1990s. I mentioned earlier how the second team became uh, three counties league champions, but at the same time, the first eleven we were also flourishing, uh, and they became three counties' first division winners. We were very fortunate to have a clutch of extremely good cricketers at the club at the time, and I suppose success—nothing breeds success like success. And the first team were doing well, and that rubbed off on the second team and downed the third team. And it was just a club that was flourishing in so many ways at that time. We were also fortunate that we were—we had a, a a chap who came down from North Wales to play with us, who came in the one came to the club the one day and he said, Look, I'm working with somebody in Bristol who'll be keen on playing for Panteg." And it turned out it was none other than the ex Kent bowler Kevin Jarvis. And the influence that Kevin had was massive. He was such a gentleman on the field and off the field. He was fantastic with the youngsters. And that period around the late 80s, the early 90s really were Halcyon days at Panteg Cricket Club. Sadly, the last few years have been a bit of a struggle in terms of, I suppose they have been for a lot of cricket clubs in terms of getting numbers out on the field, but there are hopes now that things have turned the corner because they've got a new captain in place for next year, none other than John Glover, also an excellent organ player, and hopefully things will go from strength to strength in the next few years.
0: Have the, the ebbs and flows of the cricket club followed the ebbs and flows of of, of the place with the the decline in, in the steel industry and the cl- and, and so on?
3: I'm absolutely yeah. certain that that's, the, that that's absolutely the case. The steelworks has now closed. There's a new brand new housing estate where the steelworks used to be with increasing unemployment in the Pontypool area. The number of cricket junior cricket clubs, I was only talking to a colleague of mine the other day who was saying that when you look at, at how when Pantate was strong, there were a number of feeder clubs in the area where players used to move from them up to Panteg, There was a lovely cricket club at Combran who provided Panteg with a number of the good players. Uh, but with the closure of the Steelworks, there's no doubting in my mind that it's seen uh, a decline in number of local players wanting to play cricket at a very competitive level. What about
0: youngsters? What, um, are they still being attracted to come along to the club? Yes,
3: but like with a lot of like with a lot of sports, it's becoming increasingly d- difficult. Uh, I was fortunate when I was there in the eighties and nineties. I did a bit of work with the youngsters, and we had a thriving youth section. And I know they're making fantastic efforts at the club now to develop their younger teams even more than they have done in the last few years. And w- one real good initiative that they've got is that they're now, in next season, starting the women and girls section, which is uh, something that's been much called out for, not just at Pantid, but in that Gwent area. So we look forward to that next season.
0: I always hesitate when I get to this point in in any chat,
1: where I say to
0: you, have you got any favourite cricketing stories? So um, (laughs) there's either deathly silence or somebody launches (laughs) off into something. So is there anything that... uh, that, that really anything sticks in your you
3: mind can, as, as a club can, cricketer. That... Anything that you can repeat in the podcast, Absolutely, is.
0: yeah.
3: Yeah, well, there are a couple, I mean, that are, that are printable, shall we say. Uh, one of my favourite memories is that probably around about 1989, 1990, the ex-rugby player Bobby Windsor, uh, a stalwart of the Ponderpool friend low and a stalwart of the Welsh rugby side and indeed the British Lions, run a charity called the Alan Graham Trust. The Alan Graham Trust arranged, or Bobby Windsor, via the Alan Graham Trust, arranged a friendly fixture with Pantig to raise some funds. So I was really quite keen to play in this. Technically, I shouldn't have because I wasn't a first-team player, but I used my powers of persuasion. A few people couldn't make it because it was a weekday and managed to get a game. And lining up for the the Alan Graham Trust, they... Assembled quite an eclectic collection of quite well known sports stars. So, Hugh Morris and Matthew Maynard both played when they were at the peak of their performance for Glamorgan. Um, you had the likes of Eddie Butler, Jeff Squire, um, a chap called Benny Jones from Pontypool, who was an outstanding rugby player. Many say one of the best uncapped rugby players never to have played for Wales. Um, so, they pitched up to play this game, and as was the nature of, fr- of charity fixtures in those days, you had to let the superstars bat first. So, of course, in walks Hugh Morris. Now, I don't think he'd look too kindly on me saying this because, I, I as you're probably aware from Andrew Hignall, I do a little bit of work down at the Morgan now with youth groups, French groups and school groups. Uh, so, effectively, I'm talking here about somebody who's my boss. But Hugh Morris strode into bat. Can't remember who he was opening the bat with then he took first strike. And we had a chap bowling for Panteg. We call him the Cunning Key. We called, his name was Ken Norris. And he was left arm over the wicket, no great pace at all. And the wicketkeeper was standing up. Ken ran in, Hugh Morris, thick edge, caught behind by the wicketkeeper. Of course, all the fielders, we had a hoop. The umpire turned it down, said, not out. And we all stood there quite aghast. Even Hugh Morris had a little smile on his face. Retrospectively, you couldn't really give an ex morgan captain in England player out first ball in a charity match. So I I never mentioned that in my since I've been working down Sophia Gardens to Hugh Morris, but I'm sure he'd take it in the right spirit. So that was one that springs to mind. Another one concerned the bowler who bowled that ball, Ken Norris. Now, Ken was a... A crafty customer, he was a very tidy bowler, but he was also an eccentric with his sense of humour. And one particular weekend, he broke his hand very badly and was unable to play. Uh, However, he volunteered to come along. In those days, second team had to provide their own umpires, which wasn't ideal. So Ken was umpiring, one arm in a sling, and was doing a reasonable job. That was until the ball went for four wides. Now, with one arm in a sling, of course, it was a bit of a struggle for Ken to signal the four wides. He somehow tried to do it by using his leg to sticky step his right leg in the air, his right arm in the air. Goodness knows what he was trying to do. It brought the entire ground to laughter. And poor old Ken was so embarrassed, he almost had to walk off the field. Oh, another, another one you, little, you might find interesting is... I was fortunate in my teaching career that I happened to teach uh, two students who went on to play for Glamorgan. John Glover being one of them and another being Hugh Waters. Now, Hugh Waters played his club cricket at, predominantly at Newport Cricket Club. And his father, Don, a lovely, lovely man, was captain of Newport, cricket, or Newport Seconds Cricket Club. So we went down to play against, and Hugh was a tidy bowler, as you're probably aware, and it was sadly an injury which put an end to his Glamorgan career. Right arm over the wicket, nagged away, very accurate. Uh, we go down to Newport to play them at the new ground, or it was a new ground at the time on Sputty Park. Don was captain, standing at mid-off. Hugh was ca- Ike went into bat at about seven or eight, and immediately I went into bat. Don signals to Hugh, his son, to come on to bowl knowing this was a chance for a student to have a go at Sir. So I stand there now. Don has a quick word with Hugh. Hugh starts running in with a big smile on, my, on his face. And I thought, I know what's coming here. And I guessed absolutely correct. He dug the ball in as short as he possibly could. I could never hook the ball. I ducked, put my bat up in the air. The ball hit the bat and Summer went off the edge for four and Put it this way, when I saw Hugh in school the following Monday, he was in detention. (laughs)
0: Teachers always get the last laugh, don't they?
3: Oh, not well. I don't know about that. I'm sure Hugh and a few others would say they got the last laugh. Yeah. So of all the games that you
0: played or involved in, did you have um, one that sticks out for you at all, either for your personal performance or for the team's performance or...?
3: in the last four or five years of the three counties league a number of new clubs entered the league and one of them was a place called dumbleton which was just outside tewkesbury now the dumbleton ground was an absolutely stunning ground you drove in it was an old on an old estate and it was a typical thatched roof it was the picture perfect cricket pavilion it had a it was wooden with a thatched roof on it you couldn't ask for anything more beautiful at the back of the cricket pavilion was a pond um, where there were loads of fish, etc. And we batted first. And in those days, there were 45 over games. We won the toss. We had quite a strong side on that day. And I thought, oh, go on, we'll have a bat. And we we batted first. And somebody called Graham Clutton, I don't know if you know Graham. I
0: don't, know. We,
3: we, a, a journalist, Graham. A really good player. Very good pedigree. Had been injured. But was coming back from injury, hence played in the second team. And Graham scored the most wonderful hundred, and we amassed well over three hundred odd runs. And in those days, that was a very, very big score. You know, we thought, well, we are, we barely got a turnout in the second innings uh, for their innings, and we'd win the game. So as we went out to field, and as was the norm, the cat I always used to find the safest place in the field. to Position myself away from where the ball was likely to go. So I was probably at mid-on, talking to the bowler. Batsman chipped the ball up in the air. And I one thing I did have, I had a reasonably safe pair of hands. Went to catch the ball. And I dropped it. And it was a simple catch. And I was so embarrassed. Went to pick the ball up. I thought, oh, my finger stinged a bit there, and it had cut across my knuckle quite badly. I had to go off, I was, and I said to Stuart Harrison, who was playing, Stuart, you better take over the captains here. I'm going to have to nip. Father of one of the boys who was playing for us took me to Tewkesbury Hospital, and I had seven stitches. I said, We won't rush back. I said, I don't want to go on the field, and they won't be anywhere near where we were. When I got back, lo and behold, they were about 40 runs short with six or seven overs left. So I had to hobble back onto the field, field at fine leg, where I could stop the ball in my foot, and we ended up winning by two or three get- runs. It was a fantastic game of cricket and I still got a little scar on my finger to to prove that as well. (laughs) So that's one particular game. Another game where I was never a massive run scorer or wicket taker. But one lovely thing about playing in the Three Counties League was the the beauty of some of the grounds we were able to play on. I have mentioned Usk and Abergavenny, which as you probably know yourself, stunning grounds. But then some of the other grounds on the English side of the border There was a ground I particularly loved playing at a place called Colwell. Fantastic ground. And we went up to the one day. We managed to bowl them out for 110. Uh, But it was a more strange game because for the first 25 overs, at 25 overs, we had drinks in their innings and they were 90-odd for two. And the wicket was playing perfectly. And all of a sudden, the wicket just broke up. We bowled, bowled them out for 116. And I thought this is going to be a challenge to get these. We went in and we were 30-odd for four. I went in at number six and it was a real battle. I think I got hit about six or seven times in different parts of the body. Managed to get a 30-odd notch out. We won the game. That's the one game and everybody, anybody says, when you look back on your cricket and career, what was, that was one of the highlights. Thank
0: you for all those uh, recollections, Paul. Um, it's been a tough year for cricket this year, along yeah. with m- yeah. many, many sports yeah. and, and, and all, yeah. all aspects of life. What are your hopes for, for cricket and the pante Club in, in the future and,
3: and perhaps beginning with next season? Well, I'd like to think first and foremost next season that we'll be able to see some live cricket down at Sophia Gardens. Hopefully, well, let's fingers crossed the vaccine works and it gives us some sort of herd immunity. And hopefully by the middle of the summer at the very latest, we'll be able to see some cricket down there. I mentioned to you earlier, uh, Stephen, that I'd done, the la- since I retired from teaching in 2000 and, I'm trying to think when it was now, 2015, I retired from teaching and I had a call not long after I'd retired from a chap called Roger Skirb. Now, Roger's a good friend of mine who was also a teacher, uh, but Roger worked on Glamorgan. He's very highly regarded by the staff at Glamorgan. Some people would say he's the dressing room attendant, but I'm sure the players would say to you, he's much more than that, Roger. He looks after their every bet and call during match day. And Roger rang me up and he said, Paul, you've retired now, haven't you? And I said, yes, Roger. He said, well, would you like to give us a hand down here? Because we, we I said, doing what? And he said, well, showing school groups around, showing French groups around, going into schools. And I said, well, I, I couldn't be persuaded. So he arranged for me to meet with Andrew Hignall. I went and met with Andrew Hignall. And initially, about four and a half years ago, it involved me going in about half a day a week. And uh, then it became a day a week. Prior to March of this year, when we went into lockdown, it had almost become a full time job at certain times of the year. And in the last year we'd been I was down there working with Andrew and another colleague called by the name of Sean Carey. We had managed to get 14,000 youngsters through the grounds of Sophia Gardens on organised visits and tours, spending the day there. And these were predominantly on non-match days. And I really hope the one thing, and we were really making progress in spreading not just the brand of Glamorgan throughout South Wales, but spreading the word of cricket throughout South Wales. And indeed, we were inundated with French groups. And I genuinely hope that all the work we'd done in building that up over two or three years hasn't been completely dissipated by what has happened since last March. Ironically, it was on March the 16th that I last was at the Gardens. We were waiting for a group to turn up, a group from France, and they didn't show, which was unusual because Andrew Hignall organised it. And as you probably know, his organisational skills are impeccable. He paid me to say that, mine Um and it I might edit it out, of course. <laughs> no, or oh, please do, I would. And they didn't turn up, and that was unusual. Well, anyway, we then went in to discover an email had been sent to say that the French government had stopped all school trips. And little did we think on March 16th that we wouldn't be back down there with the school group. Well, who knows when it'll be. I mean, in terms of Pantig, this season just gone was a very, very strange one. They did manage to get some cricket in, like all local clubs. But it was an almost surreal experience, you know. It was a bit of cricket tagged on to the end of the season. I know the hope is that next season we'll be able to start in, when it should be starting in April and will be a full and proper season. Because the real worry I know of people at grassroots cricket level is that this break in sport is going to be another barrier to encouraging youngsters to play in cricket in this particular case. So I genuinely hope that we can have a. Co- I don't think we'll ever. We're going to have a COVID-free cricket summer for a number of years, but let's hope it can be a less COVID-affected cricket summer than the last one has been.
0: I think anybody listening to you, Paul, see how yeah. much you
3: love the game
0: of cricket yeah. and have loved your yeah.
3: involvement in it in all
0: sorts of yeah. different ways. Um, how would you like to sort of sum up the importance of the game
3: for you? A really, really difficult question. How would it sum it up to me? I have made lifelong friends through cricket. I have lifelong memories through cricket. Some of my best experiences outside family life and things such as that have come in relation to cricket. Uh, we talked earlier about the 1977 final. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have also been at Taunton on the day that Glamorgan won the championship in 1997. And when I look back, some of the memories I've got for cricket are memories that will be with me forever and a day. And it's difficult to sum up in a few words how much cricket actually means. But I've made some of the best friends, made some of the best memories, had some of my most enjoyable times and continue to do so via cricket.
0: And the importance of cricket for communities like Panteg?
3: For com- for a community like Panteg, P- Panteg House is all-encompassing. Um, They've also got where Panteg play cricket. Next to where Panteg play cricket is the Panteg football ground. For a number of years, Panteg rugby used to be on the same sports field but has now moved elsewhere. Without Panteg cricket club, it would remove a huge, it would leave a massive hole in the community because although perhaps not many people associate themselves themselves with pandig Cricket Club there's such a community around pandig House, you visit pandig House of a weekend when there's been cricket there and the cricket overlaps with the football and it really is a busy buzzing place where the local community gets together uh, and I know there are real drives at Pantig now to make it an even more community oriented club than perhaps it has been in uh, recent years Thanks very much to Paul for that
0: Uh, next episode is going to be something that's uh, been provided
1: by Alan. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, Alan? Yeah, I'll be speaking to sports journalist and broadcaster Alan Winbev, and the former rugby referee as well, who's a a keen Glamorgan follower, and uh, basically, when we've been in Glamorgan cricket dinners together, he's always entertained us with stories of past players that he can remember from his childhood, and he often comes up with a, a little... Well, I suppose it's a sort of an after-dinner game, I guess. If you had to invite three cricketers to dinner, which ones would they be?
0: Ah! Okay, great. Sounds like a a really interesting listen. Um, Given that it's our first episode of 2021, perhaps we can uh, just think of or look forward, even even quite kind of uh, quizzically into the future, and the kind of things that we might like to cover on the podcast. Um,
2: Jan, have you got anything uh, that you're thinking of at the moment that we might do this year? I thought a good idea might be assuming that at some time in this summer there are crowds at cricket games. We might be able to do a sort of audio tour of a day at the cricket at Glamorgan and we could talk to the hopefully the players, maybe the match officials, the crowd and then also the people behind the scenes that make everything run smoothly.
0: Okay, that sounds great. Um, I've already uh, had some contact with a chap by the name of Richard Thomas, who's written a brand new cricket book, which comes out in May. We'll hopefully be listening to him talk about that book in future months. Um, and I've also made contact with uh, Jeff Watkin, the brother of Steve, ex Glamorgan an England bowler. Um, and we'll be talking to the two of them, hopefully, when we go- visit uh, my Stair Cricket Club in the very near future. And yes, it, this season is the 100th anniversary of first-class cricket in Wales. So we'll try and make that Glamorgan connection somehow uh, and bring you some podcasts looking at that history and talking to some of the people that have been part of it. Um,
1: Alan, any further ideas from you about Future Pods? One that I've got in the pipeline at the minute is a, a trip to Sandy low Cricket Club. I know they've got a very historical connection to cricket in Wales in terms of the first recorded cricket match. So I'm I'm going to be finding out more about that. And they also have an auctioneer involved in the club. So I'm going to be hopefully finding out a little bit more about what it means to be involved in the world of cricket memorabilia and hopefully find a a few little gems in there as well. Terrific. Okay.
0: well, um, don't forget, anybody out there that's listening to us that has some ideas about what they'd like to hear or wants us to talk to them, please get in touch with us. You can do that uh, on Facebook at the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket on Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod, or you can email us at mwcpod1921 at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this episode. Do join us again in a fortnight for the two Alins, Alin Wynne Bevan speaking to our very own Alin Rhys Chivers in what will be a Welsh language episode. All the best, Hoil fawr, and goodbye from us. Join us next time when we'll have some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Shamai Kroesor, and welcome. Well, that's it for this episode. Do join us again in a fortnight for the two Alins. Alin Bevan speaking to our very own Alin Rhys Chivers, in what will be a Welsh-language episode. All the best, Hoil Vaur and goodbye from us. Join us next time, when we'll have some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales.